0: Hope everybody's doing well this morning. Uh, my name's Henry Byers. I'm with Freight Waves. I'm an international freight forwarding market expert here. And uh, excited to have Mike Powell from Seco Logistics join us. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Uh, just talking to you backstage, I think it's so interesting your background. Um, you know, I, I come from the freight forwarding industry uh, before Freight Waves. Um, can you just kind of describe where you come from, how you got here, kind
1: of the background
0: uh, that we were talking about backstage?
1: Sure. Yeah, I've been uh, in the forwarding space in one way, shape, or form uh, for about 20 years now. Um, Started out with a company called Fritz Companies, uh, for those uh, that remember that. Before it was UPS Supply Chain Solutions. And then really been on uh, all sides of the table. And when I say all sides, I've uh, built technology, I've sold technology, and then we've implemented technology at uh, 3PLs and freight forwarders.
0: Awesome. Uh, And and I think... I want to specifically just kind of start out. Um, you know, the, the last year has been, been um, you know, an interesting one from a freight forwarding perspective with the trade war, uh, I think. Um, you guys have been a big presence worldwide. Um, uh, I think you have an interesting perspective to provide kind of like around um, U.S. importers. Um, I think, you know, the tendency is to, to think about the trends. You know, U.S. importers can just pick up, move out of China uh, at the drop of a, you know, hat. Uh, but it's, you know, really not necessarily the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a... I think there's a lot going on uh in the world not just in in China or Asia but uh, a lot of uncertainty right mm-hmm. I mean you've got the the protests in in Hong Kong you've got uh, obviously the trade wars that get, grab a lot of uh, headlines but you know China's not going anywhere anytime soon right mm-hmm. there's there's still uh, the manufacturer for a lot of things that we uh we use in, in our economy and around the world um, and that's not going to change anytime soon. I think people are continuing to look at other options uh, mm-hmm. near sourcing other uh, manufacturing uh, or sourcing sites throughout Asia. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, often gets sensationalized in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but China's definitely not going anywhere.
0: And I think from a, a CTO perspective, you know, it's so important in, during uncertain times like we have, uh, you know, with the trade war going back and forth and your ability to adapt to that type of thing. You know, having your technology nailed down is super important. Um, and I think from a, like an infrastructure standpoint, from like a data integrity standpoint, um, you have all these people keying in data. Um, you know, can you kind of give some perspective around your role as a CTO um, and, and you know, just why that's so important to your customers and the overall customer experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, as, a, as a 3PL or freight forwarder in this industry, um, you know, you're selling a service, right? You're, you're moving the boxes, you're moving the freight, um, but you're also moving and selling the information and the data. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're not getting that right, then you're not you're not successful in this industry. So for us, um, it really starts foundationally with the data, and understanding what we want to do with that, and what our clients are expecting from us. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, you mentioned China. I'll be over there next week, meeting with with clients and, and understanding you know how things are going with our operations. But um, you know, data is, is fundamental for us. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people talking about data as the new oil. And right. it's, uh, it's, you know, higher price commodity than actual crude oil these days. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us, it's how do we get that data um, from our partners, from our carriers, and really build that ecosystem um, to take the data, turn it into actionable insights for our clients and, mm-hmm. and for us internally.
0: Absolutely. So, and with your product, MySeaco, you know, you hear a lot of of talk about digital freight forwarders, um, you know, coming in, really changing the industry. And I think, you know, the the way you guys have done it's really interesting. Um, You know, you have some background being with with CargoWise, a WiseTech Global company, um, which I think is a really strong back end in terms of like operational. Um, you know, efficiency and, and, and really just, just the way it's set up with the task, workflow, et cetera. And, and you you know, you've basically written, uh, you know, can you kind of describe MySeqo when it originated? I mean, it's like 15 years old, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, we started uh, with MySQL I think the first iteration was around 2003, 2004. Um, and, you know, this concept of digital forwarders is interesting. Um, you know, you ask 10 people today to define what a digital forwarder is, and you're going to get 10 different answers. Um, so, you know, I, I joke around with uh, with our head of marketing and say, you know, we were a digital forwarder before that was even a term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we've developed that uh, uh, interface, that client single pane of glass uh, we call MySeco. Um, it allows our clients to leverage... Any of our service offerings uh, through that single sign-on, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you mentioned Cargo wise and, and other platforms that we have in the back end. Those are really the engines that allow us to optimize and, and become efficient within our own internal operations. Mm-hmm. But the visibility layer and that experience uh, with our clients, we control and uh, and develop internally and you know that's really the name of the game for us is you know making it very easy for our clients to interact with us right. you know why do people order things from amazon because mm-hmm. it's easy right, right. why do uh, you know why do you use uber instead of getting a traditional taxi these days because mm-hmm. it's easy so why do you do business with seco because it's easy and that's what we want to mm-hmm. continue going down that road that effortless experience for our clients
0: i love that perspective and i think from a customer standpoint uh, they're you know, arguably demanding more now than ever um, with the, you know, the advent of e-commerce. Um, you guys have really excelled in, in, in fulfillment, um, you know, really servicing those clients, and you spend a lot of time on the ground You just talk about how how you're adapting um, to customer demands, expectations today. Because I mean when you talk about digital freight forwarders, um, oftentimes it's more just about the digital experience and making it easy. Absolutely. Um, And and I think you guys are are doing well at that.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously consumer demand is changing the name of the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's changing buying decisions, it's changing behaviors across the board. Um, we think the, the B2C lines are very blurred with B2B in terms of service offerings and capabilities. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, obviously, uh, like many out there, we're seeing a huge uptick in, in demand in B2C-type services and, and really around e-commerce. Um, so we've, uh, we've spent a lot of time in the last couple years focusing on our cross-border e-com product. That's and um, you know, we're seeing a, a huge spike in, in volume and uh, you know, traction around that product. Um, for us, you know, going back to that experience, that's paramount. So how do, you, how do you improve upon that experience, right? Well, if you stay within your own four walls and you start to believe your own BS, then you're gonna get nowhere, right? So for us, it's that real feedback loop. So getting out there, meeting with clients, Understanding what their challenges are day to day, you know, real life uh, situations, and then also with our employees because um, mm-hmm. they, at the end of the day, uh, are interacting with our clients more so than we are from a technology perspective, day in and day out. So, you know, what are the true pain points? How do we solve those? What are those opportunities? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for us, it falls into two buckets: how do we optimize the internal team, uh, make them efficient so they can come in and be more productive in terms of a service aspect as opposed to data entry and running reports. And then uh, from our clients, how do we um, again, empower them? You know, everyone says become an extension of their team. Um, It's not so much become an extension of their team, but it's how do we power them? How do we uh, enable them to be more successful in selling whatever they're selling to their customers? Mm -hmm. So um, that's, for us, paramount, and that's how we lead our technology design, is -hmm. how do we solve those problems? It's not just, you know, the latest buzzword, blockchain, or AI. Um, You obviously have to sprinkle in those new technologies and leverage those where there's real-life applicability, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, it's not technology for the sake of technology. Yeah,
0: because if you're thinking about you know, investing in, in technology um, and freight forwarding, I mean, you, what, you, what you guys do is so complex. I mean, you're, you're dealing across multiple time zones, multiple cultures. Um, you know, I think what's so interesting is, is sometimes, you know, in freight forwarding, oftentimes, like the, the email chains, uh, you know, it, it's such an email-based industry. Um, you know, it's necessary, but, it, but it's also, you know, quite problematic. Like, how are you guys approaching just the, you know, streamlining communication um, from a workflow standpoint, because you know, if you're like you're sending a booking to China, um, you know, oftentimes it can be like 24 to 48 hours delay before you really get some good traction and get a, a real problem solved.
1: Oh, definitely, and uh, yeah, email still plagues our industry in a lot of respects. We're still a very manual industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's government agencies, whether it's carriers, um, there's still a lot of manual processes, and, and uh, in some cases. Uh, physical documents that, uh, that are still being exchanged in some cases um, you know for us uh, not proud of it but we sent you know roughly 84 million emails last year as an organization so how do we break that cycle right how do you how do you reverse that so for us it starts with um, how do you have a single source of truth right mm-hmm. contextual conversations right. so bringing more people to the same page mm-hmm. um, we started internally um, using um, again contextual conversations so if, it, if something is revolving around a carrier, Mm-hmm. Put, it in, put it in our CRM, right? Mm-hmm. If it's around a client, put it in the CRM and you have a single source of truth. Um, we have the same thing and we've had it for actually a number of years. Um, we call it issues management. It's part of MySeco. So if a client mm-hmm. has a particular question or challenge with their shipment, they can raise an issue right within MySeco mm-hmm. and it allows them to have, again, an embedded conversation around that particular transaction with mm-hmm. our operations team, regardless of where they're at in the world. So for us, we think you know, driving that type of communication will help reduce email and mm-hmm. honestly improve efficiency. Um, you know, one of the things that plagues us uh, as an industry is you know, the velocity, right? So quotes, someone wants to come in and get a quote on a particular shipment. Mm-hmm. How quickly can you turn that around with accurate information? So those are the things that we continue to monitor and look at uh, to drive efficiency.
0: Yeah, I you know are, are you currently you know, spending a lot of time? Are, do you have a data science team that's specifically dedicated to, you know the data science side of that like research in the land history getting the rates trying to to get predictive around uh, rate movements um, based on just on the past experience and the trends um, you know is there or do you currently just uh, you know have kind of guys that play a hybrid role or, or a team that plays a hybrid role of sorts
1: you know I would say that uh, we're in our infancy in that um, in the last 12 months we've hired our first uh, two data scientists oh. um, and you know that's Again, it's just getting started. Um, we also um, I go back to that ecosystem, right? Leverage a really good partner mm-hmm. um, that is really our, our BI, our business intelligence mm-hmm. um, visualization layer, and they have data science uh, scientists on staff and embed AI in that platform. Mm-hmm. So we've partnered with them to really, um, you know, try to leapfrog where our current position was at. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys know, on the data scientist side, it's tough sure. to find them. It's tough sure. to retain them. Yeah. Um, so and they come at a premium. So mm-hmm. how do you make the most of the resources you have at your disposal um, as you go down this journey? Because it's not an overnight experience. You have mm-hmm. to, um, you know, again, start with the foundational data. Um, mm-hmm. That's one thing that we realized real quick was um, if the data is not clean, then it doesn't matter. You, know, you have the brightest people in the room. Can't sure. do a whole lot with that data. So sure. how do you clean and harmonize that data? Mm-hmm. And then uh, leverage you know, the intelligence of these data scientists and technology to really then bring insights to light.
0: No, I, th- I think, to your credit, um, you know, hiring data scientists for the sake of hiring, you know, data scientists, it really does you no good. You really have to make sure, like you're saying, the data's clean. Because uh, in working with that team more and more, getting down to, like, writing SQL queries, things like that, things I thought I like, never would do, no. the respect for what you guys <laughs> do is insane. Uh, but, but you know, I constantly hear from them, like, you have to be very exact about your terminology. You have to be... Um, so, so I think it's... Uh, I think your approach is a good one, because um, you know, kind of Using that to to leverage as you, you know, get everything else, uh, you know, really super efficient, really nailed down operationally.
1: Um, Yeah, it's funny. I mean, we, you know, we operate in, uh, you know, 40 plus countries uh, around the world and ask what a customer is. Ask what a client is, right? And who is the client on a particular transaction? Mm -hmm. And it depends on what lens you're looking at it. So... um, you know, starting with that again, basic foundational level, mm-hmm. and then moving upwards is, is really uh, you know the start of success, hopefully for us.
0: Yeah, because as a freight forwarder, it's a tough role a lot of times. You're kind of caught in the middle. You're caught in between, uh, let's just say, you know, ocean freight uh, in particular. You know, mm-hmm. oftentimes you're you're caught in between the customer and the ocean carrier, and you know, vessels are moving on a certain timeline. It's not like you can have a vessel um, you mm-hmm. know on demand like you could a truckload um, or you could get a. A team driver vessel, right? There's no such thing, but like I think um, it's certainly an interesting perspective. So, what do you you hear blockchain? You mentioned blockchain. You mentioned AI. I think again buzzwords you hear thrown around a lot. Um, But I think you also see the value um, and kind of where those things are headed. So, what what, from a freight forwarder uh, perspective, and you as a CTO? Like, what's on your like five year plan um, in, in terms of technology and where you, where you kind of see this industry headed
1: initially? Five year plan, huh? Uh, <laughs> we're trying to look at a five week or five month. Well, maybe plan. the ten year. Um, <laughs> um, no, uh, you know, for us, it's really again, how do we continue to evolve? Right? Mm-hmm. Again, our industry is is very manual and very legacy in nature. Um, you know, we're we're not immune to that, right? So we're a forty one year old company, and with that comes challenges, right? Mm-hmm. As, as you grow, we've grown uh, rapidly over the last several years. Um, you've got a lot of internal baggage, if you will, technical debt. Mm-hmm. So that's part of our part of our roadmap is how do we become more agile as we grow mm-hmm. um, and scale up? Um, you know for us, again, I'll go back to what I said earlier in that we're constantly evolving and we're constantly looking at new technology. Um, but for us, it's not, Um, starting with a blank sheet of paper. We have a lot of great things in place that our clients leverage every day to operate their business. Mm -hmm. So how do you, in parallel, continue to keep the lights on, so to speak, and then continue to innovate? And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for us going forward, um, it's two distinct teams that work in harmony together. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to have different skills. You have to have different mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you have to want people that are creative and think outside the box, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have, you know, your traditional technologists that, you know, are a little more safe potentially um, and pragmatic, and want to um, continue to maintain and, and enhance what you have. So mm-hmm. we've kind of got a little bit of both going on right now. Um, for us, you know, if you looked at all those uh, blockchain buzzwords out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the center of what we're trying to do, um, you know, if I had to pick a, a top one, would mm-hmm. be AI um, sure. because AI can be sprinkled in. Uh, in a number of different ways, both internally and externally. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to that predictive nature uh, mm-hmm. around uh, with our clients in terms of tracking, in terms of visibility, uh, is really something we'll get to uh, in 2020, and we're mm-hmm. starting to experiment with that right now. So, um, you know, layering things, you guys are doing it with Sonar, weather, layering things with like weather and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, different capacity and different lanes. Um, how are um, the seasonality of, of our clients' business as well as uh, others out in the industry changing pricing, and what mm-hmm. does that do for for our commercial teams. So those things are all being uh, evaluated and, and played around with as we go forward.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. I think um, you know when, when you're looking at AI, it, it kind of exists in your own ecosystem. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, block, whereas blockchain, it's not that uh, you know, it's not that we're saying I think, and you would agree that it's that it's uh, you know, a, a worthless endeavor. Like I, no. I think there's true value in blockchain, and I think it, it has a real future. Um, you know, obviously with the the blockchain and transport alliance, yep. um, you, you're you're part of correct. Yeah, correct, I was one so. of the
1: I was on one of the first uh, standardization committees yeah. when yeah. Uh, when Vida was rolled out, and um, you know, guys doing some great work around that. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I think we've got more of a wait-and-see approach, if I had to describe it. Um, You know, we're not the largest forwarder out there. um, And I think, for us, it's going to take some heavyweights to get in the ring Mm -hmm. and really drive some uh, true adoption. Uh, You know, obviously, companies like Marisk and and IBM Mm -hmm. doing some interesting things. Once we see some traction around that, um, we will definitely take advantage of where it makes sense for us. Um, You know, quite honestly, we're not hearing the need from our clients at Mm -hmm. all. So we'll probably have to educate and uh, create some of that demand and create some of that uh, awareness out there in the marketplace as soon as we have some applicability to new technologies like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, we're definitely intrigued about what's going on. Um, you know, I, I made a comment last week. I was down in uh, in Texas, and I said, hopefully blockchain is not you know RFID of the 90s, right? And, right, and we right, had right. this um, you know Walmart-driving RFID adoption, and it was going to revolutionize our industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I made the mistake of thinking it was kind of on the decline, and unbeknownst to me, over the weekend, our CEO sent me an article, RFID passive tags are on the rise right wow. now yeah, and right. Uh, expected to hit, I think, 18.5 million passive tags in 2020. Wow. Um, so... You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of these technologies that start out um, with a bang, mm-hmm. and then they fizzle. And then once they fizzle and they settle into real-life application, that's when you see the true applicability and, and traction within our industry. So hopefully that's, you know, blockchain.
0: Yeah, well, and, and I think, uh, like you mentioned, it's the, you know, it's the standardization of it all, getting the key players involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely critical from an adoption standpoint. You know, one thing I do see a lot of value in, you know, my perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong, or, or, you know, uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on, um, it's just kind of the IoT devices and and tracking. You know, I think you're you're constantly hearing customers in the freight forwarding industry, um, you know, they're always chasing the data, you can Mm -hmm. say. They're always, where's my container? Sure. Um, You know, it seems from like a... A load standpoint, like, you're, you know, not even does it matter so much for the customer about where the container is, where the ship is, it matters where their load is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's kind of interesting, like, where do you see that headed? Um, do you see uh, one part of the freight forwarding industry being more successful than the other? You know, I think we have MSC and they're, they're really getting, you know, container tracking started. Um, you're seeing a few startups here and there, but what, what is your perspective just on the tracking side of things?
1: Well, I think it depends on service offerings that you, as a, as a company, are offering to your clients, right? Um, we've been doing uh, essentially IoT devices for probably about 12, 14 years now um, with a product called Seco Secure. So uh, embed a, um, a tracking device really around high-value uh, mm-hmm. cargo right. and you know, sending uh, pings out to, again, MySQL, having that constant visibility layer uh, for our clients. It's kind of a niche product for us. Um, mm-hmm. There's a premium cost that goes with it, sure. but if you have high high value freight, um, then it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, IoT devices, as an asset-like carrier uh, mm-hmm. or asset light 3PL or freight forwarder, we're not going to deploy a bunch of IoT devices within our network because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Sure. That's where the ecosystem comes into play, right? Mm-hmm. So um, partnering with our carriers, partnering with other aggregators of data, you know, the P44s of the world, the 4 right. kites, how do we leverage the data that they're accumulating from their carriers who are also partners of ours, mm-hmm. and then we can start to, you know, translate that in, make it visible to our clients, and mm-hmm. uh, make it useful insights for them.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. I think you have to, from a CTO perspective, um, it seems like you have to be very careful about the technology that you, you do go after. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I think from an investment standpoint, um, you can get really overextended um, and, and really you know waste a lot of time, a lot of effort. Meanwhile, uh, you know you could be losing customers in the process. So you know I think you know I love what the guys at Project 44 are doing, and, and, and they're probably solving a lot of the visibility side for you, at least as much um, as as is needed from the customers. Like I think your point about the, um, you know you're on the ground so much like that's obviously, is it, you feel like that's an advantage? Like, I think from a CTO, you don't you don't really see that a lot. I think you kind of think CTO, you think someone, uh, you know, with the team, infrastructure team, just kind of uh, kind of in the back room making sure everything runs right. Uh, but it's certainly not the case for you.
1: No, I mean, I think, um, I, don't, I don't know if it's an advantage. I think it's a necessity, right? Sure. Um, and I think those that are not doing it are behind. Um, for us, you know, our, our entire leadership team is is out there every day um, staying close to who we are um, as a company. Um, you know, our, our marketing team and our CEO came up with, uh, with a tagline uh, earlier this year, um, small enough to care and big enough to scale. And um, you know, if you're familiar with Amazon, you know, our, our, our day one, right? So that's, as we continue to grow, we need to maintain that as our philosophy. Mm-hmm. Small enough to care so we have that personal connection with clients. Um, but but big enough to scale so that we have the size and capabilities uh, to grow with our clients and really enter new markets, enter new opportunities. Um, you know, going back to your, your last question though, you have to be disciplined, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a lot coming at you. Um, you know, whether it's articles, whether it's right. uh, vendors, you know, approaching you, it's easy to get enamored with the new shiny penny. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to stay disciplined. You have to stay true to who you are um, and what's in front of you. Um, and, you know, setting a plan and trying to stick to that as much as possible is key. Not, you know, day to day, but really that roadmap. Where do you want to go as an organization? What are the areas you want to be good in, um, and then how do you become great in those? Um, mm-hmm. For us, we really bucket into three main areas, and how do we become you know, 20 miles wide and a million miles deep and become right. experts in those, in those areas? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is important for, for our partners as well. Right. So how do we leverage the companies that are excelling at what they do well? and take advantage of that partnership, right? How do we empower them? How do they empower us? And it's a mutually beneficial relationship. We're not going to be all things to everybody, um, and we're not going to develop all the technology ourselves. So um, that ecosystem coming back to that is key.
0: That's a great point because I think in the freight forwarding industry, I think it's real easy to chase, um, you know, being a mile wide and inch deep. Um, yeah. there, you know, there, you can get into a position where there's not a lot of, a lot of margin, uh, you know, and, and you're just kind of chasing ocean rates. You're, you're beating somebody by 50 bucks on a container. You're making 50 bucks a container. Um, it's just kind of a, a it's kind of a, a zero sum game at that point. I, I feel like um, and kind of bring it full circle. Um, you know, you're building a, a forwarder here in the middle of the country. Um, you know, do you feel like is it is it a disadvantage? I think some people think that you know to build a freight forwarder adequately, you have to be uh, right right on the uh, the ocean. You have to be beside the port. You have to be, you know, you're obviously beside one of the largest airports. You guys started as an air freight forwarder. Um, Do you feel like this a disadvantage at all these things?
1: Not at all. Not at all. Um, Yeah, and we're proud of our Midwestern roots. Um, You know, our our CEO spent 20 years in China. A handful of our leadership team, I think half our leadership team speaks multiple languages. Um, You know, have operated, not just visited um, foreign countries, but actually operated on the ground, whether it be in Singapore and Australia and Mexico. Um, You know, we're we're global in nature, and um, in order to uh, really scale, in our opinion, um, you have to have that perspective. Um, but coming back to the foundation, you know, we're proud of where we're at. Uh, there's a lot of great things going on here, not just from a logistics uh, perspective, but from a tech perspective as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's a session later on uh, today, and maybe it's tomorrow, around what's the best logistics city, um, whether it's yeah. Chicago or Chattanooga. Sure. Uh, I'm a little biased, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, um, again, I don't think you need to be in the port of Los Angeles or um, you know, on a coastal city uh, to scale and to be successful in this industry.
0: Man, uh, you know, if I'm the CEO of a freight reporter, you're hired. No, I'm kidding. I think, uh, no, I love your insights. Um, I think they're deep. And, and I think, you know, it'd be wrong for me to not, you know, ask you, you know, your advice. I mean, there may, may be people out there that are trying to to currently, they're in that middle stage, you know, which is incredibly tough, right? That that period of like 10 million to 50 million is mm-hmm. it's an hard, uh, incredibly hard to scale if you're not, if you don't have the right approach. Again, if you're my wide and entity um, it, can be, it can be quite miserable, um, honestly. So do you have any advice for anybody out there trying to scale, trying to figure out the freight forwarding industry? Because uh, not a lot of things seem to make sense sometimes. Um, so do you have any kind of, imparting words, uh, you know, just some advice out there to kind of, you know, help people really, what to focus on?
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think, you know, you have to figure out who you want to be, right? That You've got to start with that. And um, not be afraid to make mistakes. Fail fast is something that I've lived by for, for a while. And I've, I've learned much more from my mistakes, and I have plenty of them, um, than I have from my successes. And um, as, an, as an organization, um, I, I think it's, a, you know, we try to fail fast, right? Figure out when we're uh, doing things well and expand on those. But more importantly, figure out when you're not and abandon those fairly quickly and learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. So as you're scaling, you're going to make mistakes and uh, learn from them.
0: So interesting, yeah. I mean, you, you, I, th- I feel like you're totally right. Like, again, if you keep doing something over and over and over and you're expecting different results, I mean, you know, some call that, you know, insanity, yeah, absolutely. right? absolutely, uh, absolutely. No, I, I appreciate it, Mike. Um, thanks, everyone, for coming, listening to Mike and I. Um, you know, I'd love to come visit you guys. I think yeah, what I you're doing, on, um, you're super experienced. I think that deep experience really enables you to bring something special to Seco. Um, I've certainly enjoyed talking to you. Likewise. And, uh, thanks for having me. Interested to see, see where you guys go in the future. Great. Thanks, everyone.